I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. One lesson to learn about the technology and the trends in the EV space is that you never really know exactly what's going to happen next. But I think with more and more breaking news like the today's topic, we're getting a clearer and clearer and clearer picture of what the future of electric mobility will look like. Welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. I am your host, Francie. Thank you for joining us today. I'm happy to be accompanied by our friend and fellow electric enthusiast, longtime EV driver and creator of the Brandon Flash YouTube channel, Brandon Flash himself. Hello and welcome. How's it going? What have you been getting up to lately? Oh, just all the nerding. I uh, just finished a 2,500 mile road trip up and down the East Coast. So just trying to dive into some of the news that happened while I was traveling. Yeah. How are your travels? It was excellent because I used the Tesla supercharger network and it could not have been easier. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad you had some success there. Um, it definitely is an on-topic point that you mentioned because I did invite you on to cover today's topic, which was a big old splash in the news cycle last week on October 26th of 2023 when BP, aka British Petroleum, which we all know has a bit of a notorious reputation in terms of their oil spill background, but they just announced something pretty electric. So specifically BP Pulse, the company's EV charging business has placed a $100 million order with Tesla for their ultra fast chargers as part of BP's plan to invest at most $1 billion into the EV charging across the U.S. by 2030. So these are 250 kilowatt chargers branded, installed, and operated by BP Pulse. They will have a magic dock, meaning that they will be, be, be capable of both the NACS and the CC connector abilities. Additionally, they'll support, support plug and charge protocol, so you can just pull up and plug in. We love that. And finally, as is Tesla's current policy, the third-party operated ultra-fast chargers meeting Tesla's reliability and functionality requirements are featured in Tesla's vehicle UI and apps, and BP Pulse expects, expects to uphold those requirements on the network. And per the press release, BP says this marks the first time that Tesla's ultra-fast chargers will be purchased and deployed on an independent EV charging network. They put out that there are currently 
Over 27,000 chargers installed by BP with an aim of rolling out more than 100,000 globally by 2030. And now it looks like they'll have some pretty good hardware to work with. So that plan is by 2024, uh, Tesla chargers will be installed on the BP Pulse network, which includes BP, AMOCO, AMPM, Thornton sites, and also Travel Centers of America locations. And of course, at large scale, Giga Hubs, which are the BP Pulse charging sites that are near some airports and uh, in metros in the US. So Brandon, that's what happened this past week. I don't know if I would have guessed who would have been the first to be able to place an order with Tesla like this, but I'm not really surprised that it's a giant oil company. Honestly, they've if they've got their wits about them, then they need to be moving towards EV charging. And isn't it smart to get this deal with Tesla? So what are your thoughts off the bat? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, obviously, I think it's a good move. It's proven reliable hardware, at least Tesla's previous version three, version two hardware is. And one can only assume that the version four would be equally as reliable. We have seen some user experience concerns with the Magic Dock and just kind of the version 4 hardware as a whole, which I think leaves some open questions. But I think from a reliability and just overall experience perspective, it should be net positive. You should be able to pull up and charge pretty much no matter what, even if some things could potentially be more optimized. I think a large announcement from BP like this was kind of expected after their acquisition of the Travel Centers of America network last year, because that actually marked... BP's re-entry into the fuel retail space in North America, which they previously had actually kind of backed out of. Uh, mm -hmm. But that also gives them a lot of very key corridor locations to deploy these charging assets at. Yeah. Uh, but, but as far as the hardware itself, I think there's a lot of open questions. Uh, Tesla selling hardware is great, but it doesn't address a lot of the things like software, maintenance, uh, just general ecosystem vertical integration, because those are a lot of the key reasons that the Tesla experience is so good. And if you take away some of those things, they may as well just be any other hardware. They could be an ABB, an Episec, uh, Alpatronic, uh, ChemPower, whatever. At that point, it's just white label hardware operated on different software on a different network with different maintenance people with different levels of care, quite frankly. And I think even though the Tesla hardware is very good, a lot of the reason that the network as a whole is so good is because of the constant maintenance and because of Tesla having those in-house technicians. And they're actually doing a lot of cable replacements, just preventative site visits, things like that, that other networks simply aren't. And I think that is the biggest reason that it's so reliable. Mm -hmm. You make a great point in the conversation around reliability, that it doesn't ever just come down to one thing. Of course, great yes. hardware is important, but also the software, maintenance, operation, so many moving parts that go into making that experience as great as Tesla has been able to make it and gives you insight into what other networks, other public networks are working with when they have to coordinate all these different pieces, of course. So I think that's a great point. It'll be interesting I haven't had experience like with BP and I don't really know what's going on in the back end, but how they're going to, yeah, not just rely on the hardware. Of course, it's great hardware, but of course, building up the whole experience so that you can have a great customer experience that is comparable to Tesla's. So why do you think Tesla is making this move now to sell hardware in this way? Is it primarily a strategic business decision? Uh, I think a lot of it actually stems from potential antitrust concerns, because if Tesla has such a market dominance and borderline monopoly of the charging space, then they may face a lot of government scrutiny. 
especially mm. if they're the only ones that can take that hardware, especially in Europe. Uh, so I suspect a lot of this is kind of a preventative move to say, for Tesla to be able to say, well, anyone can buy it. We're not doing this. We're just better at it than others. I mm -hmm. think that's an angle that Tesla could be taking here. Um, but I think a lot of it may be stemmed from Nevi funding and things like that as well, whereas they don't want to have to take on as much of that risk of sorts and be able to hand it off to others. It's similar to what Electrify America and EVgo are doing with EVgo partnering with Pilot Flying J with the EVgo Extend arm of EVgo, but Pilot Flying J owning and operating it. And then there's also Electrify America. I believe they're actually partnering with Travel Centers of America to some extent, if I remember correctly, um, where they're at least partnering with one of the other uh, travel plaza operators to have owned operated assets from that travel center operator under the uh, Electrify commercial arm of Electrify America. So there's yes. a lot of moving pieces with the Nevi funding. And I think a key part is that if they want this hardware to be Nevi compliant, it actually has to be OCPP compliant. So if you're not familiar, OCPP is the open charge point protocol. And it's mm -hmm. basically the way that all charging hardware on the market, or at least white label charging hardware from every major manufacturer then can communicate with the various backend platforms. And one of the requirements in Nevi is that you have to be able to switch between networks if that time comes without any hardware changes. So this actually implies that Tesla's version four hardware is OCPP compliant. And in Europe, we did see that they are OCPI compliant, which is open charge point interface, which is what allows for roaming. So there is some roaming happening in Europe between Tesla and other networks. So this is really kind of shifting towards Tesla following kind of the industry norms versus just doing their own proprietary protocols. But that also leaves the open question of, will Tesla allow BP to have access to some of their more detailed data via the proprietary protocols for preventative uh, repairs, uh, diagnostics, things like that? Because kind of the industry norm right now is that while every piece of hardware essentially is OCPP compliant, a lot of them actually have parallel backends to a more detailed proprietary backend that allows you to have more data. Because until we have OCPP 2.0.1, there's actually a lot of gaps that OCPP leaves as far as data you may need to actually properly operate a network, such as internal uh, sensor data, uh, kind of maintenance intervals, things like that, that aren't in OCPP 1.6J, which is the industry norm right now. Very interesting point. And it, it does make sense. I think sometimes when this news about Tesla making decision or someone in the space making a decision, we kind of have to work backward to figure out their reasoning. It does seem like that would be a very clear motivator. And when you're talking about this software, you know, you mentioned earlier before we were on the car that you noticed this point here about Omega. So it says te in this in the press release, Tesla's chargers will also be deployed at select BP Pulse fleet customer depots. By pairing BP's Pulse industry-leading intelligent charge management software Omega with Tesla's fast and reliable chargers, BP Pulse gains the distinctive capability to oversee the entire charging process for EV fleets, providing a comprehensive solution for its fleet customers. So wait, okay, so BP is buying the hardware and then there's an aspect here about the software and then also fleet customers so what are you taking away from this point here there's a couple different moving parts yes so this again goes back to the ocpp point because bp is omega software which i'm not super familiar with but 
my assumption based on them advertising it with other hardware as well is that it's kind of a generic OCPP backend. So that's allowing for scheduled charging, authentication management, um, just general charger and user management of that uh, system, uh, but also kind of targeted towards fleet customers versus being targeted towards public charging customers. Because you have a lot different priorities when you're managing a fleet operation versus a public charging operation. And there is overlap, but I think the key priorities are very different. Uh, but this kind of proves that they are using OCPP to do that. And I also saw on the website that they're actually offering a bundle, which is the Tesla hardware plus the BP Omega charger management system as something that you can buy if you're a fleet. So if you have a fleet of Teslas, a fleet of Polestars, a fleet of whatever, uh, or a fleet of even medium heavy duty, whatever you have, you can actually buy this as an off the shelf kind of solution as a turnkey operator to have at your fleet depot. So this is showing the charger management system, kind of the back end. Um, and you can see there it's showing just a generic charger on that screenshot if you're watching this uh, via video. And then you can actually see that showing the European version for stall because it's showing a CCS2 handle. If you look mm. really detailed, that's something that always gets me. A lot of these hardware manufacturers, they don't switch what cable they show depending on the market, which they really should. Mm, that's uh, a good point. Yeah, you pay close attention, was, which is why, you know, reading through the press release, of course, the main takeaway, it's like, yeah, $100 million uh, order from BP to Tesla for these chargers, but also expanding into this fleet bundle. So I'm really glad that you were looking closely. And of course, those close details in the photos as well. I mean, maybe they're just cutting a corner there. They had a good filler photo. But yeah, I mean, we're pulling this up in the US, obviously, and they're going to be distinct from what we see in the in europe so um yeah. this is pretty interesting right why why do you think this is significant that bp is not only able to purchase the chargers and kind of put them on their own public network but now sell to fleets with this whole bundle yeah i think it is pretty interesting because tesla actually has sold the fleets in the past um there are some small like taxi fleets kind of around North America that have purchased private Tesla supercharger installations. But to my knowledge, those are still operated by Tesla and they're kind of owned, operated, but paid for by the uh, owner of sorts, but they may not fully be a transfer of title necessarily from Tesla would be my guess. Tesla is probably holding it still pretty close. They may not actually sell it per se. Mm -hmm. uh, Whereas this is actually selling the hardware and relinquishing full control. And I think it's actually framed up pretty well here on the screen to have the charge management, which you can kind of sum up as the software. You have the ultra fast Tesla hardware, of course, the hardware. But then you also have the warranty category here, which you can kind of summarize as the service category. And right here, they're calling out a two-year parts warranty, which is fairly industry norm. But if there's not labor included, if there's not access to the Tesla technicians and they're having to train their own technicians or rely on third-party service providers, similar to some of the existing public charging networks, there's going to be a huge uphill battle here to have those technicians, to have those companies trained and competent on that hardware. But also, you're not having technicians that have access to everything. You're having technicians that may only know bits and and are having to connect the dots. Very interesting. Yeah, I 
totally agree. This is, um, yeah, I didn't necessarily see this coming, but it will be interesting to see how they're able to provide this with all the moving parts. Of course, as you mentioned, it's not just the hardware, but all the other things that are involved in being able to offer this kind of offering to people and them having a successful experience, especially as fleets with all those different concerns. And the Tesla supercharger network has obviously again and again been a key selling point for Tesla owners. And with this move now, private companies are going to be able to continue to expand the charging infrastructure. Now they're not just going to have to use other hardware, but now they can use Tesla hardware. Of course, this is this is the only uh, specific scenario where I know that this is happening between BP and Tesla, but we'll see who else places an order or I'm not sure how that will come along. Um, but they're able to use this hardware that Tesla has really innovated on. And I was wondering, how do you think this will impact the overall adoption of electric vehicles and what other challenges or opportunities that you haven't touched on, but you've touched on a, a good few so far might arise from it? Yeah, I mean, I think realistically, $100 million sounds like a ton of money, and it it is. I'm not going to diminish that. But in the grand scheme of things, $100 million for charger purchase really isn't as much as you may think. Uh, if you're assuming someone, let's just for even numbers, call it 500000 per site in charger hardware, if you're considering roughly a million dollar installation, which is not hard to hit, we're probably rounding up a bit, but just for sake of argument here, that's 200 sites worth of chargers, which really isn't that much. And I know there's going to be comments, I can already see them coming, that Tesla's hardware is so much cheaper than everyone else. And that's true if Tesla is selling it to themselves. Right. But Tesla selling to third parties means they're having to add in margin. And if BP also has operating costs and things like that, there's going to be significant cost added to basically every layer of this that isn't there today. And I think Tesla's hardware cost is actually going to be very similar, if not potentially more than some of the existing hardware companies that are out there. So I think the huge cost advantage that Tesla may have, um, and realistically, we don't actually have that great of an idea of Tesla's hardware cost because the only hardware cost we've seen is from grant applications. And there's a lot of room for ambiguity and kind of skewing the numbers to get the angle that you want out of it. Mm -hmm. And Tesla may just be taking on a larger cost share than others and just only requesting a little bit because, I mean, if they were going to deploy the chargers in that site anyway, anything helps. They don't really care if they get 10%, if they get 20%, or if they get 50%. If they were going to cover it 100% anyway, any bit helps. So they're just going basically to take away that opportunity from some of the other operators potentially by just mm -hmm. putting name in the hat, taking a small percentage, making themselves look good, and kind of adding fuel to the Tesla fanboy fire. <laughs> Plenty of fuel to go on that fire. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's again, I think some people were surprised by this and like, oh, I can't believe that Tesla would sell this hardware, but I personally wasn't. It makes sense. I mean, they've, if they're trying to, of course, if they're trying to stay focused in their scope, but I wasn't super surprised by this. Were you? Not really. I mean, I think it and just I, makes sense. I mean, they probably have more production capacity than they can realistically use themselves. I agree. Yeah. And yeah, why not? I mean, Tesla keeps surprising us. And I, I assume that they would keep the manufacturing that they would only be the ones doing that. Do you think that they would ever share or if they have already, but the, I don't know, the blueprints 
uh, for so that other manufacturers could start incorporating that kind of technology into the hardware that they build? Potentially. I mean, Tesla's hardware isn't that special, quite frankly. In a lot of ways, I think their dispensers are actually pretty, they're kind of chintzy, if you will. And a lot of sites you go to, you'll see them falling apart. And yes, they will charge your car. But from a like overall build quality perspective, I'd say it's a little bit questionable. And a, again, a lot of it comes down to that constant service, that constant upkeep mm -hmm. and the frequent service visits because the hardware is good. I'm not going to argue that, but I don't think it's necessarily any better or more special than any other hardware on the market. Interesting. I like that that point because, again, it highlights the, all the moving pieces that need to be involved. So we'll have to see if BP can you know, not, not drop the ball, right? They have a lot of potential with, you know, solid hardware, but there are a lot of other pieces to come into it. And it, yeah, it's interesting, I think, because of course we still want the Tesla network because it, it is the Tesla network. The BP network is not going to be equal to the Tesla network, right? Do you agree? Yeah. And I think this was also kind of alluded to by Tesla that they have similar concerns, but they're doing it anyway by their comment about requirements to actually be listed in Tesla's route planner and navigation system is you have to uphold Tesla's reliability standards. I don't remember the exact words they used, but if it's similar to the standards they have in Europe, it's X amount of successful sessions within X amount of days uh, without any unsuccessful charging sessions. Because in Europe, they use CCS2 across all the networks. So Tesla actually has allowed some of those third-party networks of course, also use CCS2 to be listed in Tesla's navigation systems. So they are going to be enforcing those same rules, and it won't just be a default of if you buy Tesla hardware, you get listed in Tesla's system because they realize that there may be operational concerns that may not lead to the Tesla expected experience. Mm. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to consider from Tesla's point of view is that, yeah, if you're going to really be considered part of the network, there are standards to uphold, which makes sense. You don't want to start including other folks as, you know, site hosts, hardware owners, and then start to devalue what you have built. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I would love to know what our audience thinks about this. If they saw it coming, what on earth we could see next? And Brandon, what do you think we'll see next in this space? Will it be another big purchase like this? Do you think Tesla will do something else different? Will it not even have anything to do with Tesla? What it, what, are the hairs standing up on the back of your neck? Uh, not really. I mean, I think the biggest things that are going to be happening in this industry next are going to be a lot of M&A action. I think there's way too many players in the space. And I think we've seen a lot of the hardware manufacturers have each on their own built enough production capacity as if they were going to be supplying every single hardware for the entire Nevi program when we know that's simply not going to be the case for any of them. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, M&A action kind of consolidation between a lot of these players. And I think the big players will get bigger and we may see some wildcard players become uh, bigger, potentially if they can get the funding to become bigger. But mm. one thing I did want to call out, Tesla's name is not on the charging hardware that's being deployed at BP site at all. Only if you that's know true. that that's what the Tesla version 4 stall looks like will you know that that's Tesla hardware. Otherwise, there's not a single mention of Tesla anywhere on it. That's Yeah, that's true. They said that uh, BP Pulse would be branding, installing, and operating the chargers. So they won't look like Tesla. They will have the BP branding. And yeah, mm -hmm. I guess you're right. If Unless you're 
familiar with the silhouette, then you're you probably wouldn't be able to off the bat tell that it's Tesla if you're not an avid observer yeah. or fan. And that's to protect their reputation, I think, is to distinguish Tesla owned operated versus non Tesla owned operated hardware, even if the hardware itself is the same. It seems like we're going to really have to take more and more pages from the book of Tesla in terms of maintenance and operations, because like you said, they're very quick to get to the scene. They've obviously provide a, a really great customer experience, the software involved as well, too. So how all the moving pieces are going to be implemented into the public network that is outside of Tesla, of course. And I mean, do you think that's a solution? Take what works and then put it into the places where it's not working? We shall see. Uh, I mean, Tesla's hardware does break relatively frequently. You just don't usually see it because it's fixed so quickly. So I think that's a key thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so more and more tradies is what we need as well, right? Well-trained tradies. So hopefully more initiatives on that as well. But yeah, is there any other tidbits that you noticed here that you saw creeping on the margins of the story that you want to hit? One open question is, will they allow that hardware to speak Tesla's proprietary protocol to Tesla vehicles. And mm-hmm. if so, that would make it the only hardware that you can purchase that will work on non-CCS enabled Teslas, or will it only be uh, compatible with CCS vehicles and actually follow the NAC standard? Because by definition, the NAC standard does not work on non-CCS enabled Teslas. So pre like late 2021-ish, unless you had the retrofit or if you had a weird like you got the wrong charge port ECU that happened to have it. Mm, that's a really good question. Because, yeah, we've covered that uh, kind of recently on the podcast, too. And uh, some folks were like, absolutely what? My Tesla doesn't communicate with the Tesla network. Um, but, yeah, so that would be interesting to see. Uh, plug and charge. They capitalized the plug and the charge, which implies the trademarked plug and charge from charge, which yes. also implies hubject. So we'll see how this all comes together and whether Teslas will soon support plug-in charge via Hubject or if Tesla drivers will have to activate via the credit card uh, terminal because they don't actually support true plug-in charge per the trademark mm-hmm. or if they will integrate and have OCPI roaming with Tesla's network for billing. So there's a lot of open questions here as far as the overall experience and operations. I think those are really great questions because, yeah, is it just going to be quite distinct from Tesla, you know, using the hardware, but building everything else differently? Or will it be kind of Tesla with a different branding on top of it? We'll have to see. Yeah, will be very interesting to see. And I think there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting news to come out in the industry in the next year and beyond. I love keeping track of it. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on to talk about it. This isn't your first time on the podcast and I appreciate it. Um, your experience and your expertise and the questions you ask, it's really great. Add to the conversation. I think a lot of our listeners also enjoy it. So thank you for taking the time to come and speak to me about some more Tesla news. My pleasure. Yeah, definitely check me out on Twitter. I post about all this kind of news and dive into the nerdy details and ask the questions others may not even know to ask. Yeah, he really does. I would strongly recommend following Brandon and keeping up to date with his work. It is really great. And you are also traveling a lot too and EV road tripping, which I love to see. And yeah, getting into those nitty and gritty details and you have a really cool background that gives you a lot of 
knowledge and experience that is really great for these kind of conversations and asking the great questions, which we love here. So I hope to have you on again soon to talk some more. And for now, everyone, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will see you next time on the Out of Spec podcast.